0: Uh, so we're continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and we we actually have like a kind of a mini-series within the series, uh, called Things That Last. Things That Last. And, uh, if you weren't here last week, um, I started by telling a little story about, um, Christmas. Uh, this, we don't, we don't do a whole lot of gift giving, Aaron and I. Uh, we do some, but it's usually kinda, kinda not, not like it, that big a deal for us. And so, uh, this year, she told me that she wanted a pair of black leggings from Lululemon. And I had never been to Lululemon. Uh, I had seen it. I know the, I know the sign. I know the logo, but I'd, I'd never been there. And so, uh, you know, on December 24th, uh, when I did my Christmas shopping, I went, uh, to the mall and there, Lululemon was just like exploding with people. It was like there were just, there were millions of people there and, uh, all, all men uh for a store that only caters to women. So I was like, all right, this is interesting. So I went and I was lost and so the lady's like, "Can I help you?" and I was like, "Yeah, I need black leggings, classic black leggings." And uh she started asking all these questions. I was like, "Lady, I just just give me the leggings, whatever. I I don't know if they're supposed to flare out or whatever. She can return it, you know, in, in a couple of days if I get it wrong." And so uh she checks me out uh, and and then I'm like, I'm like, "But but not just one pair, I want two pairs of leggings." Uh, and so she gives me two pairs of leggings and then I check out and I, and it's $250 and I'm like, what? Oh my gosh, this is crazy. And so I, I, (laughs) then I was kind of like, how is this so popular? I mean, 250 bucks, like you get these things for $15 online. It's crazy. So I go, you know, and she opens the present and I think I got it wrong, but she was very gracious. And she, so she thanked me. Um, and then I I was kind of like, what, what is, Why? What's the deal here with the Lululemon? And she's like, "Dude, these things last. They are really, really high quality. Like they're just they they never they don't fail ever." I was like, "Oh well, okay. So I get so one hundred twenty-five dollars for that's that's what you get is you get something that lasts." Well, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is trying, is addressing something in our hearts. We as human beings, it's built into our hearts to want things that last. Things that are eternal, okay? That's because uh, we're made by an eternal God. He set eternity in our hearts, it says in Ecclesiastes. And so as a result, we're, we're, we crave that which will last forever. And that actually plays into ev- almost everything in our lives, especially and including um, sex. And so we, we talked about this last week, but I want to do it again, because it's very important to counter the programming from the culture. Alright. What is sex about? Here, here's two, the two programmatic verses in Genesis that explain, God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, uh, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over every living creature that moves on the ground. Well, the uh, subdue and rule really means more like cultivate, like cultivate, because the, the, the earth is going to be chaotic. There's going to be lots of, it needs to be kind of pushed back because nature is dangerous. So they're going to be responsible for that. But how are they going to do? Well, there's just two of them. They need help. And so what are they going to do? They're going to have kids and then have grandkids. And so the first thing that sex is about is procreation. Oh no, not yet. Not yet. Uh, yeah, it's 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 about procreation, it's it's that's the. And it doesn't matter if you don't have kids, there's nothing wrong with that. Like God's not like angry or anything. But that's the purpose of it, right? Is is that's it just biologically it's, it stands to reason. Like if to, we, we forget this because we have birth control. Like, I have never been alive at a time when there wasn't birth control. I, it's, it's weird to me that it used to be that when two people got together, like, it was like, you're shooting in the dark, you, you're, you're, it's, it's happening. We can, we control that now, and so we've forgotten what sex is about. The second thing that sex is about, we're more familiar. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. They become one flesh. Adam and Eve were naked. They felt no shame. So the, the secondary purpose of sex is to bring two people together for a long time, uh, their entire lives, a, a thing that lasts, right? And so that the first thing on your note sheets, God made sex and our desire for it in order to create mission-minded families that last. We're supposed to have kids, raise them, aim them at the things that they're supposed to be doing right? Following God's way, doing what God has willed for them to do in the world. And that is what it's about. With that background, it becomes a lot easier to understand what is maybe one of the most, um, harsh, uh, teachings of Jesus in all of scripture. And we're going to look at that right now. This is from the sermon on the Mount. It has been said anyone who this is from Deuteronomy 24 Jesus is quoting the Old Testament it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her makes her commit adultery the, if you actually pull out the NIV like on your phone you'll see that they've um softened the language here that they'll say it says um I tell you the uh, uh Makes her a victim of adultery. That's not what the Greek says. No, the Greek literally says you're you're forcing her to commit adultery, and we'll talk a little bit about why that is. Um, you make her commit adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Not only is this one of the um, considered one of the harshest teachings of Jesus, it's also one of the most abused. Um. I, and we're gonna we're gonna see that we're gonna see that that maybe this isn't quite uh, quite as devastating um, as as it looks at first the first time we read it um, but we are gonna be honest with the text and then we're also gonna kind of think about what that means for us all right so the first thing we need to notice is the language who is divorcing who here his wife his wife he makes her. <laughs> we, we, again, it's difficult for us to step back into the ancient world. But in the ancient world, women were not divorcing their husbands. Uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, the first of which is that they they were so vulnerable. Women needed men in the ancient world to provide. We, we don't get that anymore because now we're in a, you know, the, uh, after the 1960s, the sex revolution, and the entrance of women into the workplace, it's just normal for us to think that women are... Able to do it, they couldn't do that. Moreover, uh, in the ancient Jewish world, divorce was being t- dramatically abused. Okay, I got a couple of pictures here. Um, on the left is Rabbi Hillel the Elder. Okay, um, he he was. Born and active a little bit before Jesus, like maybe 50 years before Jesus. And we have a lot of his sayings um, gathered in the Mishnah. Okay, That's a, the, a the gathering of, of the Jewish rabbis' wisdom. On the right, we have Josephus. He was a Jewish historian. He lived in Rome, um, and he was about 100 years after Jesus. Okay, so these are two guys, two guys who were right in the mix with with Jesus and what Jesus was 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 facing as a culture. I want to I want you to hear what they have to say about divorce. Okay, so the first here is from uh, Josephus, he that desires to be divorced for his from his wife for any cause whatsoever. And many such causes happen among men. Let him in writing give assurance he will never use her as a wife anymore. For this, she's liberty to marry another husband. Um, she's not until he gives her the, the bill of divorce. But, but wow! Wow, any cause? What cause? Well, he's thinking about Rabbi Hillel the Elder, who said he may divorce her even if she merely burns his dish. Since Deuteronomy says, because he has found some unseemly thing in her. What we don't understand is that. Um, At the time of Jesus, uh, the divorce requirements on men were almost non-existent. And what's horrible about that is that when they did divorce their wives, they put those wives into horrible circumstances where they were economically, socially, and spiritually vulnerable. So what Jesus is doing with this thing, the very first point about what Jesus is doing is he is trying to protect women. The second thing in your note sheet. Point one, Jesus' teaching on divorce is meant to protect vulnerable women. I don't think that what Jesus is doing is um, what's kind of... The church tradition, right where uh, the church tradition has always been that vo- divorce is like never ever, ever, unless there 's uh, adultery i don 't think actually Jesus is going there, and I want to show you why okay let 's look again at um, at the text uh, when, when, the, when Jesus says he makes her commit adultery, why is he saying that he 's saying that because once she 's divorced, she has to get remarried to survive or potentially go into sex work essentially. That's very common in the ancient world. So he's like the man who divorces his wife, he's, he's sentencing her to death. Anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. What is going on here? Why was, why would Jesus say this about a, a, a woman who's, who's been dismissed, you know, for burning her husband's food or whatever? Why would he say that now she's like cheating just because she wants to, that's, that's crazy, right? That's wild. Why is Jesus talking like that? Well, just think back to last week. Do you remember last week? Let me show you our text from last week. Um, Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her her and his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out, throw it away. Better to lose that than go to hell. If your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, throw it away. Better to lose one part of the body than the whole thing going to hell. What did we say last week? This isn't to be taken literally. Because if it were, everyone here would be eyeless and handless. Jesus uses hyperbole. So then, with that in mind, look at what he's saying again. What is he saying? he's saying. Uh, if you dismiss your wife, you're forcing her to become a cheater. Not really. Anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. <laughs> like, how would you even know sometimes? This is point two, okay? Point two is that Jesus is using hyperbole, why? To emphasize how sacred marriage is. He wants families that last. This has some, some that means that there is going to be Divorce. You know, the whole Sermon on the Mount is Jesus projecting the kingdom life that we will all experience when, when Jesus returns. But in the meantime, in the meantime, we have to face the, the hard facts and the reality. But what Jesus is doing is he's living in a culture where marriage has been just decimated. And he's like, he's telling his followers, no, stop. Stop. We have to protect this thing. It's sacred. I want you to know how serious I am about your marriage. We live in a radically different time, okay? I just want to share a few things about divorce um, today that you may or may not know. So in the ancient world, all divorce was initiated by men. Today, 70% of divorces are initiated by women. Uh, For college-educated women, it's 90%. So nine out of 10 marriages involving a woman with a college degree, she's she's the one initiating the, the divorce. There's lots of reasons for this. The first is women are no longer as vulnerable as they were, okay? We live in an information economy, uh, one that relies heavily on verbal skills and communication skills, which interestingly, women are better at than men. And so they are able in this culture to not be dependent on a man, and so, if, if a woman is being abused, right, like if she's being hit or something like that, she can leave now. She's not, she has that option. However, despite the fact that women have that option, they are still, for the most part, dealing with kind of, you know, pre-sex revolution values in, in the house. Women who work usually still take on those responsibilities. Cleaning and raising children. This... <laughs> This causes women to become very bitter. I mean, imagine, you know, for, for, so you're working, you know, 40 hours a week, just like your husband. You're making more money than he is, right? And then you come home and he's like laying on the couch, you know, watching the, like, what, what are we, guys, what are we doing after church? We're going to go watch the football game, right? And she's like slaving away. Like that, that's pretty rough. 64% of women initiating divorce cite unmet emotional, financial, communicative needs. This is a big one. Um, it, it, there is a... Uh, so if a woman out-earns her husband, she has an 8.4% chance of getting divorced. If she doesn't out, uh, out-earn out her husband, she has a 2.3% chance of getting divorced. So um, <laughs> ladies who make more than your husbands, um, for some reason, that's, uh, that's a, it's hard in, in marriages. Uh, to say nothing of the fact that, yes, we're oafs, and we're not able to communicate the way we want. You tell us your problems, and we're like... I would love to fix that problem. And you're like, that's not what I want from you. I want you to tell me that this sucks. Right, Zach? Uh Uh-huh. In the United States today, 41% of first marriages end in divorce. Uh, The height was in 1980 when 50% of first marriages ended in divorce. That was uh the kind of the, the cultural fallout from the sex revolution of the sixties before people started seeing the the what happens after divorce. Um so I and, and what happens is on the next slide. Um sixty-five percent of children in the United States of America uh seventeen and under live with two parents. That's down from eighty nine percent um during the sexual revolution. So uh right now of kids um, only have one parent. Um, Now that's that's not just divorce, that's also uh sometimes uh husbands die or a wife dies, and so there's it's it's that as well. Um but it's a it's a staggering number. Uh children in two parent homes. The science, the social science on this is undeniable. Um, they're more likely to graduate high school and college, less likely likely to uh, get in trouble, and uh, more likely to achieve si- a financial success. Um, to the point that Time Magazine actually did an article, I think like three years ago, uh, saying what we need is more two-parent homes in America. And people in the in the culture they re- recoil at that, right? Because what it, what it, it's an oppressive structure. Yes. That's, um, it's the, it's a, it's patriarchal. It's all these things and it's dangerous for women is what the culture says. However, done right, it's not. It's okay, Marilyn, we can go to the next slide. So here's the question. And believe me, I know that there's a lot of stuff going on here today. I know that a lot of us bring in baggage. We're going to talk about that in a second. But for those of you who are married, How's it going? Um, if you need some counseling, um, I'm willing to to start with you. I do love and respect. Um, there are other marriage counselors out there um, that we know some good ones. Maybe uh, you just need to tune up. Uh, if so, get your phones out. Um, I have a QR code here for a weekend to remember. Um, This is gonna be March 8th to 10th in, in Anaheim. Uh, it's, so it's three days. It's in, it's in the bulletin. There's a Q card there. Is there a QR code there too? I made that. I figured out how to do it. I made that. Yeah. I was pretty impressed with myself. Um, yeah, we're gonna go, uh, they got some cool speakers and just some time, you know, maybe stay at the hotel there, have mom, mom, Where's my mom? Mom, can you watch the kids that weekend? (laughs) Yeah. We have three of them, so... I'm not listening to you. I'm telling you that you're... (laughs) Uh, Maybe you just needed a little refresh, and that's great. Um, If you have problems, uh, if it's too expensive or whatever, just let me know. We'll figure something out. But I want to make sure we have this opportunity and and we make this happen, okay? Okay. And that's important, but maybe what's more important is the way that a lot of us in this congregation feel when we talk about divorce. And so the the next question is this. Are you living with shame? Um, Are you living with that hurt? I, you know... My dad uh, was divorced when he met my mom. Um, And it was, he he said that the 1970s were the worst decade of his life because he went through a divorce. Um, And I, you know, I, I know that so many of you here have either been divorced, you're going through it right now, I want you to know that, number one, Jesus' teaching is not meant to condemn you in the Sermon on the Mount. His teaching is meant to protect you. And the second thing is that Jesus is not out there to slam you for what's happened in the past. Jesus isn't out there to, to, to tear you down or to hurt you. Jesus' whole message is one of forgiveness and redemption. You will not be judged here. You will always be welcomed here. Are we going to fight for marriages? Yes, we are. But we're not going to trash people and we're not going to condemn people because of what's happened in their lives. The second thing to note about that, and that's the last thing here, is that God is a God of second chances. Some of you here have experienced that second chance, and it's incredible. And you really see that, man, God took this wreckage that was, you know, your life and has now shown you something greater, has been faithful to you. Some of you don't even know if that's possible. Some of you are just hurting right now, and you're like, I, man, I, all, I, all I can do is just get through the day. I want you to know that God is the God of second chances, and he will not leave you in the pit. This is uh, Lamentations 3, and just some, some background here. The, um, the poet, the prophet, has experienced God's judgment, has experienced an absolutely horrific time of loss and grief. And as he is thinking about trying to process that, he says this, because of Yahweh's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. I will wait for him. Yahweh is good to those whose hope is in him to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It might not look like it right now. Maybe you have regrets, maybe you don't. But wait quietly because the salvation of the Lord is coming and you will rise again. It doesn't have to be a divorce, okay? I mean, divorce is, it's a touchy, and, and, but this, this goes for everything. It goes for every type of sin, of every type of grief, every type of loss. The coming of Jesus is when God says to us, I forgive you, and I want to be with you, and all you have to do is trust me. All you have to do is believe in me, and you will be saved. It takes nothing other than that simple trust, and you will be redeemed. And it keeps going. So I invite anyone who's never believed, believe today on the Lord Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and, and receive eternal life. And for those of you who already have, I encourage you to ask God again, ask Jesus again to come and renew your heart. For those of you who are hurting, who are lo- who have lost, cry out to him. And if you need to do it with somebody, um, we've got a, a new thing that we're doing. We have a, a prayer team uh, in the back, um, after the service, just back there. If you, if you right now need someone to pray for you, you need someone to talk to, but it doesn't have to be about divorce, it could be about anything, but if, if there's something that's tugging on your heart where you need care, go there. Go there and, 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 and meet someone who's going to have compassion for you as the Lord does. Because brothers and sisters, when any one of us is hurting like this, God uses us, we are his hands and feet, to bring comfort to the discomforted. Because of Yahweh's great love, we are not consumed. His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. I will wait for him. He's good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Brothers and sisters, let us wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we come to you with people with a lot of hurt. The world is um, the world is hard. But as Billy Graham said, you are real God and so is heaven. May you bind the wounds of any who come here, especially those who've been victimized by divorce, um, who've experienced the the tear in a relationship, bind those wounds, God. Give vision and hope for a, a new, a second chance. And God, for those who are married, just send your spirit in power to improve these relationships, to make them strong, so that we are, per- are participants in families that last, that we can be a counterculture that we can start living kingdom of heaven life now and not just wait. And God, we thank you for your forgiveness and redemption that you've given Jesus, that everything that we've done, everything that's been done to us was nailed to the cross with him. And that every day, we can re-experience your compassions. Every day is a new start. Jesus, in your name we pray these things. Amen.